Lord Jesus Christ, your love and your wisdom is evident. We hear your scriptures, Lord, and we, we can just imagine sitting at your feet and learning from you, Lord Jesus. So I pray again, Lord, as we open up the scriptures that you would illuminate our hearts, that we might be warmed by your presence. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Did it just get brighter when I said that? That was weird. What happened? Oh. I'm like, whoa. Holy Spirit, that was sweet. Um, yeah, I was, I was even just thinking as I was sitting here how... Aaron, was that you? Did you turn on the lights? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's right when I prayed for the Lord's illumination. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just admiring how uh, it, it, this is like the first Sunday in a while in which we're getting direct sunlight, and so it just hits the background there, and I just love it. Uh, especially during this season, this is the season of epiphany, the season of light and life. Uh, this begins with Jesus' incarnation and the wise men admiring Christ, and then we celebrate the light of the gospel spreading forth across the globe. Uh, we, we celebrate that here at Restoration through our Kenyan liturgy that we're using uh, during this season, through an abundance of light, turning on the, the lights at full blast. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful season. So I've got these two buddies, Steve and Howard. And Steve, a little bit ago, uh, Steve Williamson is his name, he went on a trip to go visit Howard in Canada, in Lethbridge, Canada. It's just kind of on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. It's a, it's a beautiful part of North America there. And uh, during the visit, they went on this hike. And Steve noticed that Howard has a very peculiar habit on this trip. So they would be hiking through the Rocky Mountains, just these beautiful jagged mountains and streams and valleys and forests everywhere. And all of a sudden, Howard would just start shouting out scriptures and praises. He'd be like, they'd be walking along, all of a sudden be like, Lord, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky proclaims your handiwork. Now, I can't do it justice because Howard is six foot four, he's got bright red hair, and he's got this fantastic Scottish accent, which I will not, I would totally butcher if I tried. But you can imagine how Steve, my buddy Steve, would be completely kind of shocked uh, as, as soon as this big, huge, red-haired Scottish man started screaming. Lord, you know all the birds of the air. You know everything that moves in the sea. Everything is yours. And it's funny because Steve, when he tells this story, he says that by the end of the trip, he started doing the same thing on, on the hiking. He, he took on this peculiar habit. And together they would praise the Lord as they were um, meandering through God's creation. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, I'm sure some of you might be like, you know what, um, I'll save hiking with, with Steve for another day. Uh, that sounds a little, <laughs> a little scary. But you have to admit that childlike wonder and awe and joy that was emitting from my buddy there. Like, that's just something that you want to be around. So we're going to be looking at the psalm that we read this morning, Psalm 1. And like many of the psalms, this one is also concerned with who you do life with. Who is your traveling companion on the journey? Because the Bible is clear, your friends matter, your traveling companions matter. And so we're going to take two passes through this psalm. We're going to look at the blessed path, 
And then we're going to look at the wicked path. So there's three things that I want to say about each one of these paths. So the psalm begins, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Now, to be clear, when the Bible uses the term man in this sense, it applies to man and woman. It's, it's using it in the, in the generic sense. So women, please do not feel excluded by that. It could say very well, blessed is the person or blessed is the man and the woman. Now, in today's vernacular, blessed is kind of a throwaway word. We, we say it when people sneeze. Uh, you often see it on social media, hashtag blessed, and it's, it's, you know, glittering, and it's full of, like, bedazzled sort of jewelry and things like that. There's kind of this trendiness that's implied uh, to the word blessed. There's sort of this extravagant wealth that is assumed by it. Well, in the Bible, blessed, there's a much more deeper sense to the word blessed, To be blessed means that you receive spiritual favor and inheritance from somebody else who's already experienced something like that. And so you you would encounter someone who is who is holy or or who is um, who who seems to to have a certain um, intimacy with the Lord, and you would say, "Can you bless me? Can you give me a portion of that inheritance? That's something that my soul desperately wants." And we read throughout the Old Testament, people fight over blessings. People argue over blessings. People get tricked out of blessings. Uh, in, in my Bible reading right now, I'm, I'm going through Genesis, and it's, it's amazing just how often and how important the word blessing is portrayed throughout the book. Uh, it is an absolutely critical thing. And so here in, in the psalm, where, uh, the psalmist is essentially asking, so you want to receive divine favor and, and spiritual gifting from God? Well, pay attention. Pay attention to what comes next. This is the blessed life. And so we see here in verse 2 that the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now when it means law here, it doesn't mean just a specific command. It means the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. Now one scholar I read says this about verse 2. He says, the mind is the first bastion to defend and is treated as the key to the whole person, the mind. Now, I kind of disagree with that, you know, and and who am I to disagree with people who are, you know, smarter than I'll ever be. But notice the words that are actually here in verse 2. We hear words like delight and meditate. You see, the the, the idea is that the blessed person loves spending time in God's word. This, is a, this isn't a mental pursuit. This is a pursuit of the heart. This is a passion. Day and night, the blessed person is, is immersing themselves, soaking in the holy scriptures, obsessing over the stories, imagining themselves uh, walking through those stories and, and envisioning what would it be like, you know, thinking about them all throughout the day. The blessed person is passionate, delights in the law of the Lord. He, he notices that the... When, when, when the, the law of the Lord is applied to their lives, there is a peace and a righteousness that comes from that. There is a goodness from that. What we see here is what you love shapes your life. What you love shapes your life. So you could say the law of the Lord is that first traveling companion of the blessed person. Verse 3, the blessed person is like a, pl- a tree planted by streams of water. We saw this sort of expanded on in the Jeremiah reading as well. 
So I love that the image is a tree. It's, it's not a pipe. It's not an aqueduct. It's not a straw or something like that. No, it's a tree. A tree isn't just a mere channel of water. It doesn't just pipe water from one location to another unchanged. No, a tree is a living organism. It grows. It gets nourished. It gets stronger. It absorbs the water and grows. That water is the law of the Lord. It delivers nourishment and refreshment to the tree, feeding it and allowing it to grow strong. It also allows it to grow fruit that can be given to others and be a blessing to others. It allows its leaves to be strong even as the hot of the sun comes and beats down, providing shade for both itself and the other creatures that are around it. When the fierce sun beats down and the harsh wind blows, the leaves of the blessed one survive. So the blessed person fosters a community of of creatures and others that are uh, seeking its shelter. And we read this in other portions of scripture where the tree is, is an image of the people of God, where its branches provide space and a home for birds to come and take shelter there. The blessed person fosters a community of blessing for others. So thirdly, in verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Again, knowing in the biblical sense is much more than just mere knowledge. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. Biblically speaking, to know someone is to care about that person. When the Bible speaks of knowing another, there's intimacy that's implied. It's to be fully aware and involved in the life of another, to identify yourself with that person. So God knows his people. God is a traveling companion to the blessed. He cares about them, and he dwells at them. So look at these traveling companions that we already see for the blessed person, the word of God, speaking stories and wisdom and truth. Here you're planted by by water, and you receive a community around you of others who are enjoying the blessing of the Lord. And then God himself and his knowledge and his care and his intimacy is there. Well, now let's go through the psalm again, looking at the path of the wicked. So we first come across the wicked in verse 1. And here we're learning about the wicked as he, com- as he relates to the blessed person. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. So do you notice how progressively worse the situation becomes for the wicked? First, it's merely the blessed person is tempted to merely listen, you know, to receive counsel from the wicked. But then he starts walking with the wicked. That is, his, his behavior starts to go in the same way as the wicked. And then eventually he sits down and counts himself as one of the scoffers. He's with the scoffers. He's one of the scoffers. He now belongs to the scoffers. The traveling commandments for the wicked is very different In other words, one of the things we can learn here about the wicked is that the wicked are seductive. We see this downward spiral of departing from God and conforming to the ways of the wicked, concluding with the scoffer. The scoffer is the most scandalous of sinners. The scoffer mocks and makes fun of all the things that are even remotely holy. As one commentator says, the scoffer is the furthest away from repentance. There's like an arrogance there in their sin. And they try to draw others into their position. The wicked are seductive. Well, second, 
in verse 4, we read that the wicked are like chaff. So earlier, we see that the blessed are like a strong tree planted by water, but the wicked, the wicked are like chaff. Chaff is that flaky, sort of dry, paper-like wrapper that, that goes around uh, wheat. The ancient harvesters would take their winnowing fork and toss the wheat up into the air, and the wind would catch the chaff, and it would, it would drift off, but the wheat, like those little tiny grains or like little tiny pebbles, would fall back down to the ground. It's, a, it's, a common that comes up, or it's an image that com- comes up frequently throughout the scriptures. So the chaff, the chaff has no root to it. It's weightless. There's no substance to it. It is utterly and completely useless. In fact, if you get too much chaff around, the best thing that you can do is to make a pile out of it and burn it to get it all away. Goal or purpose. So it's like a road that just kind of meanders and all of a sudden kind of fades and you don't know where, what's happening anymore. Or it's like a creature that kind of walks on its way throughout the, uh, and, and eventually gets lost. Or a project that you have that doesn't quite wrap up. The way of the wicked never reaches its ultimate goal. Now, I think this is really good for us to hear. Because it's so different than the reality that we actually see. Wickedness, it seems, is winning. The path of violence wins over both men and women and and children, causing terror even within our own cities. There's many stories that we could tell about that. The rich keep getting richer at the expense of the poor and pushing them back down into greater and greater poverty. The way of the wicked is seductive. It can lure us in, but ultimately the wicked path is useless and ultimately it will not reach its goal. There is a good king who sits upon the throne. And there is a day in which he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, if I'm being honest, this causes me to tremble a little bit. Because when I look at these two paths, the the blessed path, the path with beautiful vegetation and fruit, and then the wicked path, the, the dry path, the meandering path, when I look at those two, I'm, I'm sad to admit, but my life looks more like that second path. If my heart were to be exposed, if you were to look within it, you would most likely want to go and find a, a different church <laughs> to be at. So when I envision standing before the judge, man, I've got this great reason to be afraid because he sees my heart. He knows what's in here. But friends, this is why I cling to Jesus Christ. Because not only is he the just judge, but he is also friend and brother. Jesus has already suffered for all my wickedness, and he is my only advocate. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ stepped into our world. He suffered and and took on all the punishment that we ourselves deserved, and now he sits in heaven advocating for our, in our behalf, and he, and he sends his spirit into our midst, which is able to create a beautiful home, a garden of his goodness here in our midst, the church. Praise the Lord. How do I know this is true? Because Jesus himself tells us so. We read it this morning. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the broken. In other words, Jesus Christ loves to rescue sinners like me and like you. 
He blesses them. He preserves us. He pours his spirit upon us and gives us home in this community. Jürgen Moltmann, a Reformed theologian, says this. He says, it is from community life that we draw the strength for discipleship and the courage to face the inevitable opposition. I'll read that again. It is from community life that we draw the strength for discipleship and the courage to face the inevitable opposition. Now, in context, he's talking about the church. And so the question that this causes us to ask one another is who, who's your traveling companion? Who are you doing life with? Who are you walking with? Do you place yourself in the counsel of the wicked? Those who mock and scoff righteousness? Or do you plant yourself in the waters of God's word and surround yourself by others who are looking for the nourishment of the Lord God in heaven? Do you plant yourself at the Lord's table where he nourishes you with the presence of his body and his blood? It is the grace of knowing Jesus that will truly bless you and keep you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, your scriptures are clear. There are two paths, not three. Lord, there is the path of the wicked and the path of the blessed. And Lord, we know the reality is that all of us were on that first path. All of us were meandering and all of us were like chaff, but you rescued us, Lord Jesus Christ. You walked among us. You redeemed us with your own blood by the power of your cross, Lord. So I pray for restoration, Lord Jesus Christ. May we be a place, Lord, that flourishes with your life and your light where we can enjoy the goodness of your cool waters, where we can be healed and restored into your presence. Lord, bless us now, Lord, as we go about the rest of our service. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.